Hello everyone, welcome back to my solo road. I'm not going to be doing the intro anymore because it is lame and I'm tired of <laughs> doing it. Uh, once I think you say something so many times that it just gets repetitive and rather annoying to say. You guys know that my name is Sydney and then I live in a van, so it's unnecessary. But I am sitting across from my very new, very dear friend, Alexa. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Alexa lives in a van as well. I am currently in the San Diego area. I think we're in Carlsbad, maybe? Encinitas. Encinitas, uh, yeah. which is just north of San Diego. So I've been hanging out with her and a guy named Jared, who is like her best friend and kind of like the YouTube sensation of van life <laughs> i know I he's know. like the guru he just he has a video with everybody that's in van life so everybody kind of knows who he is at least but yeah we've just kind of been hanging out in san diego and i wanted to have alexa on the podcast to talk about some things another solo woman on the road but before we get started i have a strong recommendation for everybody. <laughs> i've told alexa to watch this show one million times i posted it on instagram there's a tv show that I have become emotionally obsessed with. She has. I feel, okay, I got the same feeling when I started watching Grey's Anatomy. Ella, lay down. Lay down, my girl. When I started watching Grey's Anatomy, I don't know how to explain it. It's the kind of TV shows that make you rethink your entire life. And that is what Grey's Anatomy did. Like, I would just sit there contemplating every decision I've ever made while sobbing. And (laughs) that's how Grey's Anatomy always was. Okay, so this this show is called Anne with an E. That's the full name of it. It is on Netflix. I don't know why it's not a way bigger deal. I mean, God forbid the second season of You comes out and it breaks the internet. Like, I'm sure, I'm guessing you've yes. heard. Okay, you've heard of You. You comes out, memes everywhere. The internet goes wild. But this TV show, three seasons, and it's, no one has ever heard of it. Yeah, I didn't hear about it until your story, um, no, and I passed it, and then we've <laughs> talked about it ever since. I can't stop talking about it. Well, it's also devastating because I there's three seasons. I just finished all three seasons, and it's so sad that I can never watch it for the first time again. Like, I know how it ends, so I can never re-watch it with the same excitement that I was watching it for the first time. Um, but anyways, and with an E... That has to be your new show. Everyone looking for a TV show, that's your go-to. You will literally cry like a baby. I will admit that it's, like, slightly feminine, I feel. Like, I think more women would relate to it than men. But anyone and everyone has to watch the show. And tell me what you think. It gets a little cheesy sometimes, but, you know, the more the better. The cheesier the better. Okay, so, everybody, go grab your wine. We will be grabbing ours. I will be taking, drinking my um, Underwood wine, which is by the company Union. They sent me wine for the podcast, which is very nice, and I love them, and their Pinot Noir is fantastic. And, fun fact, Alexa was actually drinking the exact same canned wine that uh, I'll be drinking for the podcast. So, we have the same thing. All right, go grab your drink, and we will be right back. All right, so now that everyone is watching Anne with a knee, <laughs> we can get started on a little bit of Van Life podcast. In between your episodes, come back to my solo road to listen to the podcast. Okay, so how long have you been in a van? What is your name? Who are you? What's happening? My name's Alexa, not the Amazon. Alexa Glazer. Alexa with an A. <laughs> Alexa with an A. I've been in my van for six months full time. Sprinter van. Her name is Billy with an IE. Love the girl <laughs> to pieces. She's also a pain, but yeah. I love her. She's a sprinter, and everyone here knows how I feel about sprinters. 
Yeah, that's why she's a pain. And honestly, like I was telling you earlier, I feel like I paid the extra money for this reliable van that ended up not being so reliable at first. Would you recommend people who are getting vans to get a Sprinter? I feel like if I, and we literally just talked about this too, where I don't have any desire to build out or buy anything new right now, but yeah. I do think I would still buy a Sprinter. Okay. Interesting. But that's just PTSD of Ford. I know, but I love Ford so much. I think I, you're from the Midwest too, though. I grew right. up with like the Midwestern idea of like Ford is everything in the Midwest. Like know, you just Ford is Ford. Like everybody's pickup truck is a Ford. <laughs> you just grow up with them. So I find it interesting that you had bad luck with one before, but I have PTSD with Sprinters, which is why I don't have one now. So I, I, I do get that. I have PTSD with both. So I, yeah, maybe I should try the Dodge. <laughs> The it's Pro the same Master. car, though. Yeah, the ProMaster might. But I, I, don't, I don't... No, I, you either have to choose the look of a Sprinter or the reliability of a Ford, in my opinion. I'm not a big ProMaster fan, but I, I'm very... I mean, looking at my van, I think everybody knows this. I'm, like, all about the aesthetic, and I just don't think that ProMasters have, like, a nice aesthetic on the outside. I don't love the way they look. Honestly, I think the new Sprinters look similar to a Transit. Oh, really? I don't if know if I've seen, like, their, the brand new ones. Like, look at Jared's van. The back lights. <laughs> I was like, wait. Alexa, it, to me, looks more like a transit. Interesting. Yeah. No, I've only seen Jared's van, like, once during the day. I didn't pay that much attention. Okay, so how long have you been in the Sprinter for? Six months full-time. I and- had it for, like, a year and a half, but I taught kindergarten and preschool last year. So when it was done being built out, I was kind of just doing weekend stuff until school was out and... I can move out of my apartment and just, like, transition. Right. So you were teaching kindergarten before you started doing van life? Yes. Did you ever have to explain to the kids, like, what you were doing? How'd you explain it to little ones? Oh, my God. They love it. I used to actually show, like, YouTube videos of van life, and I would show them videos of when I got my van and pictures and all that, and they absolutely loved it. And, like, they would go home and be like, Mom, Miss Glazer lives in a van! Oh, I love that. But parents, like, honestly loved it, too. And I think teaching that young of kids taught me so much, where it's like, we have to talk less about what we want to be when we grow up and more what we want to do, and how, like, going against the grain is so important. And I think there's a small chunk of teachers who are starting to feel that way and teach kids to do those things and go against society and not check all the boxes. So my kids loved right. it. I, we talked about it regularly, honestly. Yeah, that's amazing. And but So when you were teaching kindergarten, were you living in the van full-time or were you still part-time? Uh, part-time. So okay. I still lived in an apartment. I lived in a house in Vegas for four years, and it was like a month and a half before I was supposed to pick up my van. My landlord was like, you guys have 30 days to figure it out. And me and, like, my one roommate were bought an apartment together and then it's, like, having to sign a lease and just all these, like, unnecessary things I didn't expect happened that totally changed kind of my transition period. But, yeah. I don't know, divine timing, it all works out how it's supposed to. It's so divine, is it? Literally, right when I said divine timing, I was like, divine timing on the road. <laughs> People will say divine around me sometimes, and every time I get, like, a low card afterwards, they're like, oh, wait, I can't really say that. And I felt like I tried not to make eye contact. <laughs> like, don't come for my brand, okay? <laughs> so, what do you think inspired you the most to move into the van and to do van life? Yeah, I think that there's kind of been a lot of little things that have played into factor, but the biggest thing, and it's interesting, like, 
just timing that you're asking this as well is I lost my dad six years ago, a week from today, actually. No way. Yeah. So next Monday is like. Okay. I was going to say, was it a week ago or a week ahead? A week ahead. Yes. You know what? Yeah. Yes. In, in a week. In a week, it'll be <laughs> six years. And my dad's motto on life was living the dream. And he always talked about it. He always responded to everything like that. And growing up in the Midwest, like we had an amazing life, but it was nothing extensive. It wasn't like glitz and glammy. It, was just, it wasn't extraordinary. Like, no, like everyone else would think that we lived a very average life. Like your dad was average, you were average, like whatever, everything, right? But it wasn't until my dad passed that I realized what he meant by living the dream. And so I think that I started living my life to keep a legacy alive while making one of my own. And so I started writing as a coping mechanism. And then three years later, started, like I wrote a book and started speaking a lot on it, created a movement. And then it was when my last boyfriend and I broke up, I started just traveling all the time. I felt like I wanted to, like, run away from all of my problems, and really, I realized, like, I'm running straight into new opportunities, and it was the Grand Tetons, the first time I ever went, I was staring at these massive Dude, mountains. Dude, I sat in front of the Grand Tetons for the first time in my, I, it was a brand new van, for no reason, I'm sorry to interrupt your no. story, by the way, but I had just moved into this van, so I had just gotten out of that previous relationship. I was on my own. I had just built out this van. I had my dog, Ella. And when I, like, I pulled up, I have no idea why I chose Yellowstone as being the first place, but I went to Yellowstone and then Grand Tetons is like 30 minutes, maybe south of Yellowstone. And I pulled into Grand Tetons that day. I spent the day in Yellowstone. Then the sun was setting. I, I will remember this day until yeah. the day I die. And I pulled into Grand Tetons as the sun was setting and I watched the sun go down amongst these mountains and cried harder than I think I've ever cried in my entire life because it was just this full circle moment of like, I got here. Like I did it. There's so much ahead and there's so many things to look forward to. But like a year ago, this is what I wanted to do. Like I set out for something and I have officially accomplished it. And I'm looking at quite literally the most beautiful view of all time. And just like watching this insane sunset with like also my brand new puppy and I was just like this is everything that I have wanted for 24 years oh yeah it's amazing too I used just said full circle moments because I feel like losing my dad was kind of like the big gut check of life and then yeah. a bunch of little things in the scheme of life like these are not first world problems right but in my life they were so it was like losing my dad an eight-year relationship ended and ended freaking terribly blew the transmission on my Ford PTSD. <laughs> like, got caught cheating in college. Like, got into this party station on myself and gained some weight. Then, like, had all these back problems. And then, like, met a new guy. And then eventually, like, that ended. And it was, like, when I started doing this traveling. So, when I went to the Tetons for the first time, I wasn't in the van. I, like, mm. literally was there for 24 hours. I drove a roommate there who was going to work there for the summer. Where were you living at the time? Still in Vegas. Okay. So, from Ohio, lived in Vegas for seven years. I drove with her to the Tetons, like, drop her off for the summer. Yeah. And then I was going to fly back. But <laughs> she had a work meeting. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to, like, go for a little hike around the lodge. And I ran into four moose. Literally, like, ran into them. Like, <laughs> almost as close as you and I are. And I, I just picture you turning your head one way, and then, like, your other shoulder hits something, and you're like, oh, excuse me, sir. Sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. As it's, like, breathing heavily, right. like, looking you're at You're so me. one with nature. Oh, my God. It was terrifying, though. And I go, 
I don't have bear spray. I don't have even pepper spray. Like, is my hydro flask going to fight this thing off? Oh, my God. Hydro flask. I remember flask. texting my friend Kristen. I'm like, hey, um, I should make it out of here alive, but I honestly can't move because I'm surrounded by moose right now. But in that moment is when I was like, I was literally stuck having to stare at the Grand Tetons and like really acknowledge things. And that was the first time I think like acknowledge even came into my life. Mm-hmm. You know, like you lived life so numbly. And even when I had lost like my best friend and like had this like traumatic event happen, like I don't think until the Tetons I was like truly acknowledging. Were you, are you referring to your dad? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, but it was, like, I thought about that all the time, and I, like, started to live life more intentionally, but I was still going to college, still on dance team, like, doing all the things that we just are trained You're, like, to programmed do. to do it, yeah. And so, even though I'm, like, living life to the fullest, I'm, like, not really. Right. So, it was, like, the Tetons that completely shifted that, and then I was just trying to travel as much, and it was the first time I realized that there was more to life than Disney World and Virginia Beach. Yeah. Like, oh my the god! The only places you go when you're living that is, in the Midwest. Honestly, it is so fantastic that you said that. I think I mentioned it on another episode. I don't think people understand. Like, I had the luxury of going on vacation yeah. once a year. I did get to do that every spring break. My we would go on vacation, but we literally never went anywhere but Florida. Florida is the end all, be all. It is the only like why yeah. if you're from the Midwest you just go to Florida. There's you don't go. I mean, there it wasn't even an option. Like, where what is Bali? What is yeah. wh- where is Thailand? Yes, like, somebody what? But yeah, like, national parks. I didn't know what the Tetons were. No, I didn't know what the Grand, the Tetons were until I was in the van. Like, not even, it, I grew up and I learned. It was until I was on my own. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. It's so funny that you say Disney World and stuff because it's like, that is, I mean, once a year we just went to Florida. We went to Disney World for maybe a day or two and like, that's vacation when you're from the Midwest. Yeah. You do not, which it, it is a luxury to even get to do those things. And so it's like, yeah. I'm very grateful that I got to go to Florida. But at the same time, it's just kind of ironic that, I mean, my parents didn't even consider going somewhere besides Florida until, I mean, now they're going to go on like a two week road trip in the in the West Coast because of me being in the van and they got a camper and they're going to do that and stuff, which is incredible. But it's almost like, when you're from the Midwest and you have such a routine in life, you're just, like, not used to doing anything else. And it's like, oh, vacation? Oh, okay, we'll book the condo for Florida, you know? Yeah. And it's like, we were stoked every time. But honestly, I haven't put that together with maybe why in the Midwest people are like, you live in a van, what? Oh, yeah, because it's very weird there. The majority of my family, because we always went to Florida, has never been to California, has never been to Oregon. A hundred percent. And they've been to Vegas because I've lived there. My Like, my mom loves Vegas, for instance. But other than that, like, they haven't traveled to all those places. Right. So I think that's half the reason maybe they think that this is so weird. Like, how can you like a place like Oregon? I'm like, how can you not? But you well- like with my family, they understand why I love Oregon, why I love California. It all makes sense to them. But I don't even know how to explain it. At the same time, it seems very much like not realistic for me. Like my parents are very much like, and not even just my parents, my family, my friends, like most of the people I know from the Midwest are like, oh, it's amazing that you're living this life that you are now, but not for me. I can't do that. I love yeah. that you get to do that. But California to them is like... I don't even know what to compare. Like Atlantis. You know what I mean? Like it's like this mythical place that maybe one day you have the like absolute luxury to go to. And it's like, 
traveling alone is a luxury, but at the same time, if you do have the funds to go to Florida, you do likely have the funds to to go to California too. Like you're yeah. still staying in the same country. It's not a mythical, insanely far away place that you get to go to if you're so lucky. Like get on a flight and go. You know, yeah. <laughs> like it's well. That's the thing too. What maybe a flight to Florida is cheaper, but when you're going to Disney World, you're forking right. out how much money that that evens out California. Oh, right, a hundred percent. And I guess just... the thing that differentiates it, which I do think is why so many Midwestern people go to Florida, is because it, we drive. Yeah, it's you know, my parents were never going to pay for four flights. Like it was easier and much cheaper to just get in the minivan and travel all four of us <laughs> and like. Yeah, we had a gold one. <laughs> like everybody from the Midwest is like saying exactly <laughs> the color of theirs. But yeah, it was it was much cheaper to get there and to stay there. Like yeah. at a condo, you can get a condo in Florida for very cheap and we would always stay in one outside of Disney. Yeah. So the only expensive thing that my parents were having to kind of fork out was the actual tickets to get into Disney World. Yeah. So I, I guess that's, I understand what the difference is between that and California, but my point is just that Midwestern people, and including myself until I did it myself, like we're trained to kind of think that other places are not out of reach, but close to out of reach. Like yeah. you're really shooting for the stars by wanting to travel the world. And like the reality is, is that you're not. Like it's very accessible. Yeah. With, you know, a, a little bit of hustle and some savings, like, you can travel the world. It's it's not the most expensive thing you'll ever do. Totally. Yeah. Okay, to get back on track, how, what do you think the biggest way that your father passing impacted you directly to be like, I'm going to get up and do this very different thing? Like, I'm going to tell my kindergarten students that I'm going to live in a van. And yeah. I think, I think it took me, like, a long time. I mean, it's a long time, but... Because, like, when you're when you're grieving, like, it, it's something that never stops, right? Right. So, it's, like, there's days where I am the happiest person ever because I'm traveling on my own, like, making myself proud, hopefully making my dad proud. And then there's literally the next day where I'm, like, I don't want to get out of bed. I'm pissed. I hate the world because he took this person, he or she or whatever the world is, took someone away from me. And so, this I don't necessarily know exactly what it was, but it's just... Like, you have to do that thing that sets your soul, like, on fire. Mm-hmm. And for me, the Tetons showed me that traveling does that. And, in a sense, running from things, because it, it shows you that human connection is everything, right? Like, right. in storytelling and just putting yourself in these uncomfortable situations, it makes you just feel... And, like, figure life out a little bit more. And for me to, like, share that with my students and just kind of everyone I encounter has been so powerful. I am such, like, a let me pour into you so much. And, like, I always say, like, I want to give you a piece of my heart. And it was in Reno, honestly, probably, like, three years ago at this point that I was speaking at a conference. And I was like, everyone, I want you to take a piece of my heart. Take it, take it, take it. And these were, like, sixth to eighth graders. And this like little sixth grader raised his hand and he was like, I want to take a piece of your heart. Like, I love you so much. But if <laughs> I take a piece of your heart and we all do, like, what are you going to have left? And that was the first time I was like, oh, my God. First of all, this kid, he's smarter than me. <laughs> but <laughs> second of all, it was the first time I realized, like, me pouring into people, like, I don't even realize, like, what I'm getting in return. Right. And I think that's what we forget is 
those unexpected moments. Like, that's what that human connection does. That's what that storytelling does. That's what traveling does. Like, you pour yourself so much into all those things, and it's mentally, physically, emotionally exhausting so many times. But it's, like, what you get back. So, like, kind of all this, like, going back to, like, my dad then, it's, like, all he wanted to do was pour into people. Mm -hmm. And I valued that and loved that so much about him. And he was, like, the social butterfly. And I used to envy that. Like, how does he do that? Like, this is also kind of weird. Like, you don't know that person over there. Right. And now I can literally talk to a brick wall. Yeah, I was going to say, you're very, you're very social. But it's putting yourself in those uncomfortable positions. I think traveling makes you do that. Forces right. you to That's do what, that. yeah, the, my whole episode on social anxiety, I talk about the fact that although I had it for years, it was kind of building, building, building. And then the year that I spent, or I guess it was like eight months on the road with a partner, having a person to kind of give all of my connection to, like, I can go back into the van and talk to him and have that conversation and do whatever. I didn't need anything from anybody else. And so I didn't talk to people for so long. Like, I, I it sounds ridiculous almost in retrospect, but in the moment, if I went into a grocery store, I just didn't need to talk to someone. Like, it didn't feel important, you know? And so I would just not do it. Like, if somebody started a conversation with me, I would either have a full-blown panic attack that was insane, or I would just kind of ignore the conversation, maybe give a word, one-word answer, and then leave. I mean, it wasn't until I was traveling alone. Like, I literally stand taller. Like, I, my head is held higher. And obviously, now I have Lee and everything, but he's social, and he pushes me to kind of be more of this person. But it's it is just this feeling of empowerment and like you don't have a person to just go into the van and have that conversation with like of course I have the dogs but I sometimes have something weighing on me and even if I'm not going to go tell the grocery store person all of my business even just being like a perfect example and this is one reason I love California. There's, you know, a million things I love about it, a million things I hate about it. But one of my favorite things about especially Southern California, I was checking out at the grocery store yesterday. And this is like one of those self-checkouts. Like I'm doing it myself. I'm totally in my own world thinking about whatever. And the guy who's checking out at the one next to me, he was like 50, maybe 40, 50 years old. And he just looked up at me and it was like such a weird, we just caught each other's eyes at the same moment. And he was like, hey, hey, like, how are you? how are you doing today? And I was like, I'm great. How are you? (laughs) And we just kind of talked for like 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I walked away from it, I was like, wow, I wouldn't have done that a year ago. I would have just been like, I'm good. And kind of checked out and hurried out. Not because I wanted to be rude, but because it just makes me anxious to talk to them. But traveling alone puts you into 10 of those situations a day to the point where you really like work your way out of like you dig yourself out of that grave. Grave, yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you kind of dig yourself out of that hole of like you you really get to work at it at your own pace because it was very slow for me. Like I would talk a little bit more and talk a little bit more. And now I, I mean, I genuinely walk around a little bit more confidently to the point where I can have a conversation with a stranger and not have a full panic attack. It's interesting. So like, and I don't want this to like go on like a super sad tangent, but (laughs) something that happened last week, we were supposed to podcast yesterday. Right. And we ended up not being able to. And in the 10 minutes, because it was like five 50 when we decided we weren't doing it, Mm -hmm. there was this, I don't want to call it a grief group because that makes me feel squirmy. Um, <laughs> it sounds I, very sad. Right. Because it is. Yeah, I was going to say, and probably like rightfully so. 
And in the six years my dad has been gone, like, I've never gone to therapy. I've never gone to a grief group. I talk about my dad, my story, my grieving process, like, all the time. Like, I wrote a book about it, essentially. However, it's this, I don't know, pride or ego of, I've never seen a therapist. Moral of the story. My friend who lives here, he had sent me this kind of group of people talking about deaths of loved ones. He sent it to me about a couple weeks ago before because he knew I was coming here. And in those 10 minutes, I literally ran down the block because it was a block over from where I was and went for the first time. Oh, really? Oh, that's so interesting. And it really, it really was. I think. See, everything happens for a reason. We canceled the podcast for a mother freaking reason. No, a hundred percent. And I think from traveling and I talk about this a lot as like windshield time. I talk a lot about, or I think a lot about when I, it's just me and my windshield because I am by myself and these like no service, open roads, just me and like the road. I think a lot about my dad. I think a lot about death and I think a lot about time. And I think I have learned living in the van that my biggest fear is time. And it's like fear of running out of it and like fear of not being done here, not necessarily death. Right. But I think like my dad unexpectedly passing totally brings that fear like among me where it's like my dad was 49 years old passed in three seconds like is that gonna happen to me like i'm 27 do i only have 49 yeah am i only gonna live till 49 it's just all these stupid things like you don't know the answer to right but it's also not stupid because like i i haven't had someone as especially as close to me as my father pass away suddenly and i think about things like that and like maybe not from like i think it would be a lot more devastating for me to think about if it if i did have that type of personal connection to the idea but i do have a I have like this distant idea of the concept of it. And I I really, there are days that go by so slowly for all of us and stuff and whatever, but like the concept of me waking up sometimes and being like, I'm 24 years old. How the fuck did I turn 24? Like, how has that happened already? Like, I do not understand. I do not understand how 2019 ended so fast. Like, when you think about the concept of time, it is flying by at a rapid rate. Like, it is so scary how quickly I am growing up. I've told my parents this before, but sometimes I visit home and I'm like in Cumberland, Indiana. I'm exactly in my hometown and right down the street is the Steak and Shake. And the Steak and Shake is the only place that's open until like, I don't even know if it's open 24 hours, but it's open until really late at night at least. So when you're like 16 through 18, (laughs) that's like where you go, right? Like the football game just ended, you go to Steak and Shake. And I've gone into the Steak and Shake before as like a 22-year-old, 23-year-old, and I see a group of kids that are 16 through 18 sitting at a booth across from me, and I'm just like, I mean, it's like, honestly makes me want to cry thinking about it. It's just like, like, I feel like that age. I feel like I should be sitting down next to them, but like, I'm not. (laughs) I'm I'm getting older, and you know, I I identify with being 18 years old. And then you see, like, I see a 21-year-old. And, like, for so long, I've been able to say, oh, I'm not like every 21-year-old. I don't want to go party. I don't want to go do all of these things. And I know in the concept of time, like, 24 is still pretty young. But, like, I can't really say that anymore. Like, at 24, people are growing up around me. And I'm not any longer the 21-year-old who's not partying like every other 21-year-old. I'm a 24-year-old who's doing... You know, I'm living in a van, which is different, but I am figuring myself out like everyone else my age. And it's just this scary concept of when you really 
sit down and think about time. It is going by so fast that it's it's really rather terrifying. Oh, it's it's so scary. It's that whole quote, whatever it is, of as you get older, the days are long, but the years are short. Right. Have Where, you heard that Ira Wolf song? Yes. Yeah, she has a line that says something like that. Yeah, and I remember, like, fourth grade was the longest year of my life. I don't know what it was at fourth grade, but it, it never ended until <laughs> I turned 27. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, I blinked and I was suddenly 27. For real, but I remember it being so slow, and now I'm, like, I graduated college. Like, I don't even remember what year I graduated. Right. That's how old I feel like I'm getting. Oh, I have like, no idea. What like year I don't know, I December 2015, 26. I don't. I literally don't know when I graduated. Yeah, but that's just proof of how t- like it just flies by. Right. Like I graduated high school in 2010. It's yeah, I remember. Um, in first grade, we did like in a little. I think we had to bring a Pringles can to school, and like we wrapped it in whatever, and it was a time capsule. And the day we graduated high school, we could open up our time capsule and see what had been inside inside and stuff. And I have a vivid memory of making the time capsule, but also the years afterwards of thinking to myself. I'm never going to open this time capsule. Like, I'll never be 18 years old. Like, 18 is so far away. Like, and it'll be another lifetime before I get to open up this thing. And now it's, like, been six years since I opened it. And it's, you know what I mean? Like, I am in that other lifetime that, as a child, I perceived, like, it would just never come because it was so far away. Right. And that, oh, my God, that is the crazy concept of, okay, I'm a 27-year-old single as ever woman, right? <laughs> and I'm like, part of me loves that. And we've talked about, like, I don't want to compromise. I'm terrified of boys because I've just been really hurt in the past. I've only ever been cheated on. And so I'm like, <laughs> boys, stay away because I'm out here living my life. Right. And the other part of me is like, oh my God, you're 27. Like, your biological clock is ticking. Like, don't you want to get married? I don't know. Maybe. Yes. Is right. You- I do. But it's just, like, this constant battle. And then also in the back of my head, it's like, but you're going to pass at 49 unexpectedly. So you got, like, less than 20 years to, like, figure this out. And then it's like, I was even talking to my mom about this literally this morning. And there's little, and again, this is sad, but I feel like people are thinking this. I was going to say, it's also not, like, I don't want you to have the perception of sad being a bad thing. Right. Like, like, sometimes, like... Every it's single real. person. I was going to say, you and I both enjoy being sad. Hi, hello, and with an E. But also, like, everyone listening to this, I, I think that there's a miscon. Like, we all enjoy being sad sometimes. Like, it feels really good to be sad sometimes. And then, obviously, it's healthy to come out of that sadness. Right. But, like, to sit in sadness is is a very good thing. You can talk about anything right. that's sad. And I think it's funny just because this is the first time I'm kind of voicing things. So, like, last night, first time I go to this weird grief group. It wasn't weird. It was amazing, honestly. But it was the first time I really kind of voiced what I say is kind of morbid thoughts. And the people are like, well, no. Like, yeah, you posted in your caption these. today morbid thoughts. And I found that interesting. Yeah. So, these are some of those morbid <laughs> thoughts where I just, like, I, this constant, like, talk of death and stuff. But I told my mom this day where I was like... Sometimes I don't want to get married because I'm like, my husband is just going to pass at 49. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to have kids because their dad is just going to pass at 49. And I don't want to do this because I'm not going to be done at 49. And it it's was- really, it's, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt no. you. It, it's really, it's interesting because although I feel like time is going by fast and all of these things, 
I, I don't have a connection to an age that way that you do. And I find that fascinating. I think that a lot of people probably do, like, uh, if they've grieved and, like, they've had a loss the way that you've had. Like, for those that are listening, uh, I met Alexa a couple days ago, and I've already told Katie, and I've told everyone, I'm like, oh my god, this is my second Katie. Like, I'm obsessed with Katie because she was the first person that kind of like was a window or like a mirror kind of person. Um, and I can tell that you are also just like, I mean, within five seconds at that brewery that we met at, like, you know what I mean? Like you sit down and it's just like, you just start talking, like you don't feel any kind of way. And I love that we had that type of connection, but it's not until right now that I'm realizing like you, you are so connected to the number of 49 yeah. because of that, which makes perfect sense. But I, I just didn't even know that about you until like you're talking about it now and it's like you i i've never even thought of the concept of like you've lost someone at 49 years old and therefore like you really associate the end of life as like being 49 and it was interesting because because honestly last night was the first time i voiced that out loud and not oh really in my windshield time (laughs) um a woman sitting across from me was because she said her mom passed at 59 mm-hmm. and she was like, I'm 49. I only have 10 more years to live. And so it was the first time I felt kind of normal. And that's why I'm like glad to say this out loud right now too. Cause like, I know other people are feeling similar things. Cause I'm always like, I hate when people are like, I know exactly how you're feeling. I'm like, right. oh, really? Like, do you actually No. Right. Like we feel similar things and we go through similar things, but like all of our feelings are very different. But that was the first time I felt normal, that it was okay to have these thoughts, again, not sit and dwell on the thoughts. Like, I cannot sit every day and think that I literally only have 18 more years to live. Like, that's insane, and that will literally make you go crazy. However, it's okay to, like, have that thought and, like, move forward and, and work through it. But it was the first time that I was like, oh, my God, like, how much weight am I actually putting on that number? Right. And just these like death as a whole because of something traumatic I had been through. It's a very interesting concept. Yeah. It's just an association that you make between Mm -hmm. the two things, which is interesting. And like I said, I'm not going to be one of those people that says, I can imagine what you feel like, because I I mean, I literally have no idea, like right hand. I I feel the need (laughs) to like knock on wood and praise God, but like I haven't had to suffer a loss that way. So I can't, I can't even imagine it. But I also feel like it's a very, it seems like a very normal thing to have associated, like, those two things. Like, the number with the, with the concept of death in general, which is, like, like you said, uh, the reason for anybody listening as well, the reason I'm comfortable talking about this is because, uh, like, Alexa has made it clear that it's, she's comfortable with it. And your caption today, just even on Instagram, I I don't know, I, I can tell that, although I'm sure it's a daily process, that you are very good about being healthy with your grief. Like I can just tell that it's something that you actually take the time to process and like think about. Yeah. And I think too, because when I started grieving, which is so (laughs) weird. It's so weird. Ew, I hate that I (laughs) said that, but I don't know. Whatever. That was weird. That's the truth. (laughs) But it was like, people would be like, A, they would give you like my deepest sympathy. Okay. And this is, when I started realizing I hate the word sympathy, because when you look it up in the dictionary, sympathy means to pity someone or something. Oh, wow. And, right? Like, I, I, I didn't know that. No one knows that besides dictionary.com and Alexa Glazer, because <laughs> I looked it up. But ever since I read that, and I, like, so vividly, every time I say the word sympathy, like, I see that on the screen. Right. And, like, I don't ever want 
someone to pity me. Like, to me, like, that's a dirty word. I feel like someone's spitting on me. And I feel like if I'm saying, oh, I pity you, like, I feel like I'm spitting on you. I hate right. that. So that was, like, the first thing I, like, completely took that out of, like, my personal dictionary. And then it was, like, you're grieving. Here's the five stages of grief. Right. And in my book, I wrote, um, one of my chapters is the five stages of bullshit. And basically, I don't believe in the five stages of grief because someone handed it to me that. And I was like, five stages. I'm so disciplined. I'm from the Midwest. I have hardworking parents. And that was ingrained in me. Like, this is going to take five weeks and I am going to be good. Yeah. Like, the reality of the situation is, like, you grieve forever. Right. And as much as that sucks, it's true. And that doesn't mean that every day for the rest of your life is terrible. Like, absolutely not. I smile every day. I still laugh. I still make new connections. Right. Like. There's so many things I'm still doing. However, like, you are still grieving. When your boyfriend breaks up with you or cheats on you, you grieve that. When you have a best friend who hurts your feelings in a way that's, like, unimaginable, like, you grieve that. Like, that is what I have learned. It's like, grieving is not just from death. It's so many things. And we process right. it. And we grieve those things forever. It's like, my first boyfriend, like, do I still feel for him the way I did? When I was with him, absolutely not. But does it randomly come up and like, yeah, yes, no. For for years after I lost my first uh, relationship, I I didn't think about it at all. I didn't think I had anything to do with it anymore. Um, and I think that was unhealthy. And I was just really trying to kind of like, okay, well that's done. Like close the door and let's walk away. And it wasn't until I started traveling alone that I started thinking about the ways in which my first love could have possibly impacted me and like. I have carried that shit into every relationship I've ever been in. And I think that's why my relationship with Lee is so different because I actually can go into it with like a healthier mind and having processed, not even processed all of it, but like acknowledge that it existed because it was kind of like this person treated me terribly. He did every awful thing that a person could do to another person. And I kind of, you know, wanted to shut the door instead of ever think about it and thinking about the ways that that could have actually carried into every relationship I've ever had with a partner, a friend, or anything. I I had the like a totally wrong perception of what love could look like. Like I remember a couple days ago we were with our friend Jared and I said something about how like Katie changed my world of like my perspective of the world because I didn't know another I didn't know someone could treat me that way. Like besides my immediate family. My immediate family has always been a support system, but I convinced myself they were that way because they were my immediate family. But like to any singular person who I know listens to this podcast and also suffers from anxiety or from anything else, because so many of you have reached out from that episode, like in case you don't know, because I wish someone would have told me sooner that like there are so many people who will treat you the way that like, you need to be treated. Yeah. Not like, like treat me and like I'll treat, like it's, it is such a human to human connection and it wasn't until, and I've actually really reflected on this in the last like 48 hours, but I've been thinking a lot about the fact that it wasn't until I acted like my weird self that I attracted people who enjoyed my weirdness and like, it, and I don't say weirdness as in, like, weird, weird. I mean, it is in, like, my, like what makes me different from everybody else is that I want to live in a van and travel and do all of these things. And it wasn't until I acted like the person that I am, because I faked it forever, because I wanted to fit in with the popular kids in high school. I wanted to fit in with the girls in my fashion classes. And it wasn't until I acted like me that I, like, attracted the the types of relationships that I would, like, desperately have wanted years ago. And so, I mean... 
to anybody who's under the age of 24, that's the best advice I could give to anybody is like, tomorrow, wake up and make the decision to start acting like yourself a hundred percent. Because although you will probably repel the 10 people closest to you, you will like attract 10 way better people. Yeah. Piggybacking off that, like Midwest girl moves to Vegas. Like I grew up dancing. I literally moved there to dance in college. And I like joined the team, had to get hair extensions got in trouble because my eyebrows weren't right, like, had to get eyelash extensions, <laughs> like, all these things. And trust me, for a couple of years, I was like, dang, I look good. Like, <laughs> my hair looks good. My eyelashes are long, whatever. And after I stopped dancing and, like, started transitioning into that's not me, like, I still love dancing, although I can't do it because my back. Anyway, <laughs> so many things. I transitioned into this life, like you're saying, where it was like, it's weird to everyone else. I started finally realizing like why I felt so suffocated in environment. And it's like that environment of people and places and all those things within that where I'm like, I'm not the girl who wants to get plastic surgery and wear right. eyelashes and hair extensions and care about what I look like. Like, I'm fine if I don't shower for a couple days and that I live in a van and have minimal things and don't carry around a Gucci bag. Like, right. I don't care. Isn't it just so funny though? The, like the contrast and my parents did not raise me to want designer things. Like I, I didn't have any, any of that, but like being in fashion school, like that was my goal. A girl would walk in and she had very wealthy parents, which like, congratulations. But like she walks in in Louboutins and like red bottom shoes and all of these things. And I just remember sitting down thinking like, wow, I can't wait to get those shoes. Like I can't wait to be able to buy those shoes for myself. And then fast forward a year, like not even to now, but just fast forward a year when I actually could like sit down and process who I was as a person. I was like, what are those shoes going to provide me yeah. besides a painful walk from point A to point B? Yeah. Like, what really matters? Now I have a van that is, like, my own space. I love it dearly. It takes me everywhere I can, like, mm -hmm. it, and it's not painful at all. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, just the things that I once worked for, I wasn't even really working for them because I was still in school and all of that, but once you mature a little bit, I know I'm still 24, I still have a long way to go and whatever, but once you start to even figure out a little bit of who you are as a person, the difference that that can make in your life versus what you are at like 18. And you, I mean, you are the product of at that age, everything you've ever been told to be and everything you've ever been told to want and to work for and to do and all of these things. And it, it's just, it's such a fun age of like that in between of being like, Oh, wait a second. Fuck that. I'm not doing <laughs> that. We're not going there. Like this is what I'm going to do. And I get, I get emails a lot from people who are in that transition and they're like, okay, but is it like, I need you to tell me because you make it look like it's worth it, but is it really worth it? Because I'm either about to mess up my whole life and it's going to be worth it or I'm going to mess up my whole life and like Instagram and everything has been lying. Yeah. You know? Well, so it's something you said too, where society coins us to think that age is like the level of life we're at right and so you're 24 so you you your experience level is also 24 and mine right. is 27 and i'm like fuck that like my five-year-old kindergartner has been through more than i have been through and that's when i started learning like 
the moment you think like your age is anything to do with how mature you are, how much experience of life you are, is like that's like when you're just like so backwards. Right. But I think traveling is like what helps you like exceed <laughs> no. that that level, right? Like if we're talking yeah. in terms of like Super Mario Brothers, like and you want to get to level thirty quick, <laughs> like move into a van and start traveling because anything that's gonna go wrong is going to and you're gonna learn a shit ton about yourself in a very short amount of time. And, but you also to add on to that, you also meet like for people who cause I didn't teach kindergarten, so I didn't have a five year old who had ever had learned more than me, but traveling I got to meet a 60-year-old who has lived far less than me and yes. who I can teach things to. And, like, I can watch sometimes me say something. And although my parents have taught me literally everything about life, I can, I've i seen myself say something to my dad and him have a look in his eyes of the fact, like, he just learned something from me. And I can see his eyes kind of be like, whoa, wait a second, that that was weird. Like, she said something, and I can, I can, like, like, especially when it comes to politics, because we do disagree, he'll raise a point, and I'll argue it, and he'll realize his, and this also happens vice versa, it's not like it's one way, but, like, I can watch him be like, oh, wait a second, the, my daughter, half my age, knows something slightly different than what I know. Yeah. And, um, I, I think, think I think, up. yeah, traveling, it allows you to meet so many people of so, like, literally every possible background, language, ethnicity, like, every stereotype or every single possible thing you ever thought you knew about people is completely destroyed because you just meet everyone and anyone and you immediately just become, I th like, you're not the most open-minded person in the entire world, but, like, you do become a lot more open-minded, mm -hmm. you know? Like, you've... I've spent time on native lands and like, I didn't have any opinion on native Americans, but I didn't know shit about them. Yeah. Like I didn't know anything because you're raised in the Midwest as a kid who's like, I just read nothing but textbooks. Like that's what I learned. And so it's like you get out and experience the world a little bit and you finally kind of know something about something. When I first started van life and it was actually Jared that said we were sitting in my van in Portland one night working and he was like, God, we live such like a privileged life. Like we are so spoiled living like this. And I looked at him and I was like, screw that. Like I worked so freaking hard to do this. Like, right. yes, my freaking heart was moving into a van that that's backwards to people. But do you know how much debt I put myself into to live this life? And I'm so happy I did that. However, then I feel like a lot of talk about, like, privilege came up. And I, like, didn't – I feel like I didn't totally, like, understand that word. Right. And then I felt very, like, white privilege because I was talking in a sense of, like, I didn't completely understand it. However, I'm comfortable enough with myself to say, like, I don't know if I totally understand this. And maybe it sounds a little white privilege. But I just was in Page, Arizona, like, two, three weeks ago. And finally was in this, like, space of, like, Native American land, like, talking to people who – actually have gotten all those things taken away from them and it was the first time like i understood right what privilege meant and how it's like so many different things like it's not just race or gender like there's so many different factors and that's like the difficult part is like i think a lot of times like we put this like stamp on things it's like a stamp of approval that it has to be one way like that's right. not the way it is but like all in all i'm saying like traveling like i would have never understood what that word meant Right. I, I think it's also it. easy, especially as, like, a white person, to get defensive. When you hear the word privilege and you hear the word white privilege, you immediately come to, like, I don't feel... I'm not that way. I'm different. But then, like, sit 
with it for five minutes and you're like, wait a second, allow yourself to think that maybe this opportunity wouldn't have been the way that it it is for you, for somebody else who doesn't have that. First of all, it's a hard concept to even understand, but it's a really hard concept to come to terms with the fact that like, you're, you may not be at fault for anything, but you at least need to be aware that it is present in your life. And and knowing that you have it is a lot of that. That's a lot of the problem because at least then you're aware of it and you can take action to try and lift other people up. I I just keep (laughs) an Anne with a knee. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually just sponsored by Anne with a knee. (laughs) They talk about, because they, it's, it's based in like the 1890s. They run into these like Native American people. They have like the craziest, most racist point of views, but to them, it makes perfect sense. They're calling them savages and like, they really have this insane perception of these people. Yeah. But like, the show does a fantastic job, obviously, of, of showing both sides. And, like, you get to know this, like, small little Native American girl, and you kind of develop the same relationship for her as you do the main character. And so, obviously, when they're saying those things, like, as the viewer, they set it up this way, and you do feel this way. You're just like, how on earth could you feel this way about yeah. one six-year-old girl, but not the other six-year-old girl? It doesn't even make sense. And, yeah, I mean, it just takes, I guess shows like that. <laughs> no, but it takes experience and shows yeah. and, and, and just media and real life and everything together to kind of, I think, put together the whole picture. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's like conversing with people who are actually living through it. And right. for me, it's like recognizing your faults. Like, I don't understand what privilege is. Please tell me, like, you live on Navajo land. I don't understand. Like, I, I but I want to. And, like, not only do people respect that, but, like, they also, again, like, storytelling to me is, like, the biggest thing in the world. Like, that's what connects everyone. So, for her to get to, like, tell her story to me and then also be like, oh, I'm helping this girl understand. Right. Boom. But also, like, people love telling their story. Yeah. So, I think it's, like, actually a really respectful thing to ask people for their story because it also allows them to share what they want. Like, you don't, you're not asking for details because you don't even know details to ask. But, like, who doesn't want to share a little bit about their story or their life? You know what I mean? And especially someone who feels oppressed in any way. So, it's kind of, like, asking them to kind of, like, please dump anything that you'd like to on me and, like, I'll treat it as a learning experience and you can treat it as anything like you know like because yeah. i mean i know that even when people ask me that i feel i'm like oh yes like i can kind of tell them about whatever i'm doing like it's exciting but i, I want to rewind slightly to the van thing of uh you are a motivational speaker yeah. and kind of i mean i think that ties into everything we're talking about but first of all how did you get into that and second of all what exactly and I don't even know the answer to these. What exactly do you speak about when you're talking to a group? And I know you talk to a very diverse audiences, you know, kids, yeah. kids, adults, like there's so many different people that you've talked to, but I feel like maybe the underlying message could be relatively the same. Yeah, absolutely. So I've always wanted to like talk. <laughs> you can't shut me up sometimes. <laughs> but like wanting to be a leader when I was in dance and all that stuff. But it was in college. It was my last speech. It was a group presentation and I was in business school. My last presentation, I remember calling my uncle and being like, oh my God, I kind of want to do that. Like it just felt unreal to make people listening like feel something. Cause like when you speak, like you can see when people have this and like a light bulb goes over their head. 
and they're starting to feel like a certain way. So I think that's kind of what stemmed from it. And then I just started doing like little things here and there. But when I started traveling, I spoke in like a student leadership conference in Tucson, Arizona. And this is also what kind of like brought me into the van, to be honest. Um, I had just got back from Iceland, like next, like right after the Tetons, Iceland, favorite place where I'm like, holy crap, like, yeah. what is going on in the world? Iceland what looks am I beautiful. <laughs> you have to go. But <laughs> it was literally like, I had this like nine or, I'm saying nine or 13 hours. I don't really remember. <laughs> Anywhere from nine to 13 hours flight and then had to drive from LA to Tucson in the middle of the night because I had to speak in the morning. So at the end of the weekend, I spoke to this other speaker. He was giving me advice. I eventually said, I'd love to live in a van one day. He used to live in an ambulance with his wife and travel full time. So he like understood and he was like, all right. So you talk about living the dream. You tell people how to live the dream and you're not living yours. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, you right. I have no comeback. And I bought my van three months later and just kind of devoted everything to, like, changing my lifestyle and living the dream, like, practicing what I preach. So, basically, like, the umbrella of what I talk about is living the dream and how it's not our end-all, be-all. It's not the glitz and glam, but it's every single day. And that you should really feel that every day, even on your, like, rock-bottom moments, because that's where you learn the most. That's where you find your purpose. You find your why. However, I do speak to a ton of different groups. I don't ever want that to change. And it actually, a lot of conversations that go badly are what kind of fuel me in a sense. So I went to dinner with another kind of just like speaker, self-help kind of person. And she's like, all right, who's your perfect avatar? And I was like, I don't have a perfect avatar. Like humans of all. What the hell is an avatar? It's just like who's your like who do you want to talk to like what is the perfect like person? an idol no like just like who's your audience if you could okay like, what do they look like what's their name like and I'm like no it's all humans and she was like it can't be and I'm like watch me <laughs> and it, but it really was that conversation that fueled me like when people are like who's your demographic I'm like my demographic is humans my niche is connection and like we're gonna talk about living the dream. And so that's always the same but when I'm with kids and, like, high schoolers, just, like, students in general. Like, we talk a lot more about and we focus on courage and not about what you want to be when you grow up, but what you want to do and how you want to do it. When I speak to a women's group, it's more of, like, self-love and not women empowering women, but, like, it's your job as a human. Just go empower humans. And, like, if there's all this energy going on in, like, a room full of women, take that energy out to everyone, no matter right. what they look like, what gender they are, anything. I, like, I've spoken to Greek life, and with them, I talk a lot about stereotypes. And I'm not going to lie with them. That's because in college, for me, I was, like, you're in a sorority, like, you pay for your friends. Like, just as a dumb college student, like, that's how right. I was. So I love, like, telling them that story, like, crush that stereotype. Like, what are you doing? Like, these stereotypes that people put you in, like, what are you doing to, like, not be part of that? What do you mean you pay for your friends? Like, I couldn't have been further from a sorority. Right. Like, I think people, like, because when you're in a sorority, it's like you have to pay to be in this sorority. So, for me, it was always, like, you are someone who has a lot of money. You come from a family of wealth. And you're, I don't know, it's just, like, a stupid, literally a stupid thing. Like, I'm embarrassed to say it, where I used to say that in college. I'm like, you joined a sorority because you needed to pay for friends. Like, you needed to pay for a group of people to survive. Oh, like, you need with. to pay to have friends. Yes. I thought you were saying that, like, 
like, I'm going to buy your drinks. Like, I'm oh, going to pay no, 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 for no, no, my no. friends. And like I said, I'm embarrassed to say that out loud. But in college, that's the way I felt. But now I, like, love working with those people because I'm like, all right, how are we crushing those things? If people are saying that, what are you doing to prove that, like, you're not that? And so all those things kind of stemmed into, like, what I'm doing now, too, is, like, this brown bag diaries idea that I had. So when I first started speaking, <laughs> this woman was like, well, of course, you're living the dream. You're young, blonde, and living on the beach. I'm like, sure, I'm young in terms of society. Look at my Yeah, but I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. That sounds like a jealous person. Oh, 100%. It's her projecting, like, superficial things and, like, a sad life on right. me. And I'm like, look at my roots. I'm not actually blonde. And to be honest, I've never... <laughs> <laughs> that is not what I was... I'm like, literally mid-pouring my next glass of wine, and that came out of your mouth, and I was like, what is that? I can't... I, I do like that, though. That's funny. And I was like, I've never lived on the beach. And so I literally responded to this woman. I was like, put a brown bag over my head, and just listen to me. Like, I just want you to hear my message, like, my ideas. Like, I want to change the world. And I don't care if you know what I look like, know my name, know anything about me. And it's so, like, fast forward to two years later, and now I'm actually putting a brown bag over my head and other people's heads. And I'm saying, like, share your story. I don't care what's underneath. I don't care how gorgeous you are, or I don't care that you haven't showered in three weeks. Like, whatever end of the I mean, spectrum shower. it is, like, <laughs> I don't care. I just want you. Right. And all of you. I'm, like, a very, like, I want all of you or none of you. Like, you're going to get all of me or none of me. So, like, take it or leave it. We were talking about that earlier. I'm, like, I'm either the most selfish person in the terms of, like, everything is about me or everything is about you. And then that's not healthy. (laughs) For those of you listening. (laughs) That's not healthy. But that's, like, how I am right now. Um, I think a lot of people are that way. Yeah. It's hard to give half of you to someone. Well, and that's the thing, too. I was just talking about this the other day. Like, I don't ever want someone to be my half. Right. I am a whole. You are an extension of that. I want you, but I don't need you. Like, there's a difference between want and need. Famous breakup words from my first relationship. Sorry, that snap was probably really loud. No, no, no. We like some ASMR here. (laughs) Okay, so, like, my first boyfriend, those famous breakup words, and I'm telling this relationship ended badly. But I was like... I I love you, but I'm not in love with you. I want you, but I don't need you. I've been through worse. And it's like, anytime there's, like, something I'm struggling with going on, like, I always think of that and the difference between wanting and needing and loving and, like, being in love. Yeah. And it was, like, that relationship. But then, like, when my next boyfriend broke up with me, I'm like, dude, guys, I am great. Like, why is everyone <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Kind of. Um, <laughs> I'm actually kidding. <laughs> But with him, it was like, okay, I'm going to tell you how I feel, and then I will not chase you. I've chased someone before, and I'm not doing it again. Right. And I was like, okay, Alexa. And it's like, no, no, I actually didn't. So sorry, sir. Um, But to me, like, that that want and need is something that's, like, I always try to hone in on that. Like, with speaking, with my life. So, but do you think that you could get into a relationship with a person that you didn't necessarily need? Because, like, you'll probably never need someone. Right. Because Lee is the first person, though, that I've ever been able to be in a relationship with, and he understands that. Like, I can say, I don't need you, but I want you to be here around. And he's like, okay, cool, same. Like, I, we were both successful on our own, and now it's enjoyable to have that with another person. All of my past relationships, I felt that way, but I wasn't comfortable communicating it because I knew that they would not be receptive to it the way that he has been receptive to it. Like, it's for somebody who doesn't feel this way 
it's very hard to hear. I don't need you. Yeah. You know, it's, that's almost like a mean thing to say. But at the same time, to someone who feels the same way, they would be like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, of course you don't need me. You shouldn't need me. But I think, especially Midwest thing, it's easy to feel like you go to high school, you go to college, and then <laughs> you get married, and you need that person. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I, yeah. I, I think it's kind of instilled from a young age that you do need to be in a happy relationship in order to not be successful, but to be, like, complete and to be happy. Oh, yeah. Does I that tried make sense? to make it work for so long because I was like, this is my high school sweetheart. Like, do you know how embarrassed I'm going to be if after eight years it doesn't work? Like, this guy moved across the country with me. And then I was like, you finally just reached a point where you're like, do you want to be miserable for your whole life? Or do you want to get divorced right away? Or do you just want to break up? Yeah. That's how I was in my last relationship, honestly. You really have to think of, like, in 10 years, like, yeah. would I rather do this now and it suck? Yes. Or am I going to do it in 10 years and have to get a whole ass divorce, potentially with children involved, and it's going to suck so much worse? Like... A million percent. Yeah. But it's funny because I'm like, okay, first relationship ever, I was like, all, all me, I love you-ish. I think. I don't know. You're my first love, so I don't actually know. <laughs> but but it's still about me. Other relationship. Everything's about you. And so now I'm at the stage where I'm like, I don't even... I don't know. Yeah. And so, like, I need what you have in the sense of, like, that mutual, like, I don't need you. I just want you. And right. And you've got to be okay with that. And that's scary. <laughs> that is scary. Because it's always, like, it's almost like, uh, are you committing 100% or not? You yeah. know? Like, I feel like I have such high standards. <laughs> Don't we all? Like, in the sense, though, of, like, just want, need, like, I'm scared of commitment, and just, I don't know, all these, like, little yeah, things. Yeah, but the, the thing is, because I met Lee this way, is that you'll feel that way until somebody just, like, randomly sweeps you off your feet. Oh, I'm waiting. Right. But, that, but that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, you think you have this laundry list of has to be this, must meet these standards, must do that. He has to like this because it's so important to me. And then you meet somebody and, like, everything that they are kind of, like, blurs all of the lines of what you thought you, that you needed, you know? And although, like, I don't need Lee to survive, I... I need his input on certain things. I need his opinion in certain ways. Yeah. When somebody becomes that person for you, it's kind of like whatever they are is enough. And, like, he validates me in ways that I may or may not even know that I really needed validating, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. So it's like, I, because I was the same way. I was like, I need somebody who does this and checks that box and does that and can do this and is okay with this and understands me in this way. And then you meet somebody and you're like, I, I mean, honestly, I don't even remember what the boxes were for me that needed checked. Because it was kind of like, yeah. He yeah. checks. The, he check. He checks his own boxes. So like <laughs> that. It, it. It just is what it is. Yeah. You know. And it, yeah, it's just totally fine. Okay. So I. I. But I also want to touch on the fact that you literally wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> You're a published author, which yeah. is one of my lifetime dreams. Is to be like a published author. My. If I have any goal until the day I die, it is that I want to be a New York Times bestselling author. Which I don't think anybody knows. So the. Every time I say it, I feel like I'm putting a big weight out into the world. No, for sure. When you said it the other day, I was like, go, girl. Because I didn't know that about yeah. you either. But that is like, 
I mean, I don't see it happen. Like, I'm not going to write a book this year or anything because there's, I have kind of a, a long term ish list of things I want yeah. to do. But within the next three years, that's something I would like to be working on and like conquering. And I, I just feel like it's one of those goals that once it happens, dang, is it going to feel so good? Oh, yeah. You know? And I, I'm a big believer in the fact that like what I, what I dream, and I don't, I don't ever want this to sound arrogant. But I want it to sound, I want it to sound real enough that people listening can, like, believe it. That, like, what I dream, I believe it to come true. Like, like, I don't think that being a New York Times bestselling author is insanely out of the question. Because I believe that everyone who's ever been on that list was blown away at the fact that they were on the list. Like, it's a bunch of normal people that cannot yeah. believe that they wrote New York Times bestselling books. And so it's kind of like, I just believe that one day I'll wake up and be like, oh my God, I can't believe I made the list. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. everybody feels that way. Nobody ever feels deserving of something like that. Like, you just wake up one day and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe my book is on that list. And that kind of thing. But yeah, anyways, I'm sorry. I just, no, no, no. let me just make everything about myself because I'm a <laughs> champion at that. No, no, no. Um, I feel like the piggybacking of that, I live. 1,000 things to say. <laughs> but, like, one thing, like, with that, like, about she normal... She just punched your hands so dick, hard. I'm fucking... <laughs> I'm pumped. It's okay. Okay. Really, though. <laughs> like, one thing I talk about a lot, and you kind of just, like, talked about that a little bit, is, like, how everyone is just normal. I think there's so many people out there who we scroll through Instagram every day, or we watch the news, and we see this, like, list of New York Times bestsellers, and we're like, they are so special. Like, they are just these people, like, these superheroes. I'm never going to be like that. And I dream for it, but it's, like, never going to happen. And we just right. constantly wish, right? And one thing I always want to talk about is, like, there's nothing more special about that New York Times bestseller than you or me besides, like, they made the decision to freaking write that book. Right. That became the New York Times bestseller. They made the choice. Like, that is literally the only difference. I am not more special than someone who's not living in a van who wants to live in a van. Besides, I made the decision. Same thing with you. And it goes along with everything. So that's just like my biggest thing in terms of like whatever like your thing is that you want to do. Just make the decision. And it might not happen right away. It's probably not going to. And just like keep working at it. But with that, like the book for me was not something I wanted to do my entire life. Like I'm perfectly fine like admitting that. It was not some childhood dream. I hated writing English papers in high school. Like I'm like eight pages what? And now my book is like 460 <laughs> or something. I literally gave it to someone today and they're like, holy crap, do I want to read this much? <laughs> but and it was just like something though for me that was a coping mechanism that after a year of writing, it was physical proof of where I was and where I'm going. And I was like, I'm going to write something with some intention for once and fell in love with it. And that's like the first chapter of my book. But with that, I've learned so much. Like that first book, it's self-published. It's amazing. It's my heart. It's my soul. Like I literally pour so much into that. Like you read that. It's super conversational. Like you, you made a friend mm-hmm. like from that book. Like I a hundred percent will befriend anyone with that. And I give them everything. However, <laughs> I've learned so much. Mm-hmm. that I would do differently for next time. Like, are there some grammar mistakes? Absolutely. <laughs> Am I pissed about that? Absolutely. Because I paid an editor who was like, well, I don't think perfect was your style. I'm oh. like, sir. Oh, no. I'm This honestly, is a book. 
I was gonna say, I'm so... I would never say anything about anybody's grammar mistakes, but, like, I am one of those people who, reading it, I was so bad at science, and I was so bad at history, and I was so bad at, like, all all of the subjects besides English to the point where I read things, and I'm always like, I'm not gonna say anything, but there should be a comma there, and that, like, this is spelled that way, and this, is, this yeah. should be that way. But it's like, when it's your book, like, because I've read that book front to back so many times before it was actually published, but you start to read it, how you think that you wrote it, right? And so it was like, literally, I have like the published version of it. And I remember reaching out to him and I'm like, what happened? <laughs> like, yeah. Why, like, why are these things wrong? And he literally had told me that. But all in all, I, the only like, person I would trust is the person who edits this podcast. I've, I've actually thought about before, like, once I start writing, because I'm doing a course right now and I, she doesn't necessarily edit text, but like, I, like, I, I trust her so much that she will literally edit anything that I do from now on, like, mm-hmm. because I think that, like, she's very honest, and so I, I feel like if there was something, she'd be like, hey, fix that. Yeah, I just, but all in all, like, that that was, like, I always say, like, my book was my first baby and my van is my second. Like, maybe eventually I'll have something with a heartbeat, however, <laughs> right now the heartbeat is, Get a like, dog. I love <laughs> Obviously, being around all these puppies right now, I'm like, eh, I know. One. But... That book, like, really the first one, is just, like, just for me. You know, it was just, like, yeah, such a way to cope, and it's still helping so many people and all that. Like, right. Like, my next one will have better grammar. I also feel like it's necessary for me to say that, although I, I do love correcting a good grammar mistake, like, I, I'm, like, going to read your book. And, yeah. You can I, correct me. It's fine. Maybe I'll, like, republish it. <laughs> okay. First of all, don't do that. And I highly doubt the things that you notice are actually noticeable to other people. Yeah. Like, I notice it most on Instagram captions, and it's because it's a small paragraph of, like, potentially, you know, depending on who it is and stuff, like, very meaningful writing. And so it's when I'm, like, really invested in this short little paragraph. But, like, in a long book, I'm far less likely to actually notice things like that. And I'm guessing because it's your own book, you're probably a lot more critical than anybody else would be of your book. Especially when you're talking about things that matter as much as the things that you talk about. It weighs far less. And I've never thought less of a book because it had a grammar mistake. It's one of those, like, mental notes where, like, my brain works in a way where I have to mentally correct it for myself in my head in the moment. And then like five seconds later, the thought is gone, yeah. you know, it's funny too. And I've talked about this a little bit with you the other day where there's times where people will be like, Hey, I'm reading your book. And I'm like, wait, those are things I want to tell you. And right. I like look at this in a lot of ways where before I met Katie, I was listening to a podcast and I stopped it more than halfway through. And I was like, I don't want to know this about Katie because I'm about to meet like with her soon. Right. And I even did that with some of your podcasts where I was like, I don't want to know this story because I'm about to meet with her in person. And so sometimes it's that same thing when people are like, I'm reading your book. Like a friend of mine, he just said that he ordered it and I was like, that's so sweet. But wait, like, right. I, just, I want to tell you. So this, it's this interesting thing because I'm such an open book and I tell everyone everything. But there's some times where like certain connections where I'm like, it's like that human interaction. Yeah, no, it's the, super interesting. There's a big difference, but I also think it's interesting from the reader's perspective to read. There's a difference in like what you might be comfortable saying to me in the brewery the day that we meet and what you felt comfortable typing on a day where you were sitting alone yeah. in a house. Like you might say a lot of things in that book that you don't say in person, although you might say some things in person that you don't say in yeah. the book. But, like, you know what I mean? It's, like, if if I was really invested in you as a person, which, I, like, I am, 
I would want to know both. Like, I would want to know what you're willing to say to my face, because I'm sure there'll be things that you don't mention in the book, but I want to read the book in which you wrote feeling a completely different way because it was a couple years ago. So it's like, you're, you're bound to have felt a different way at that time. And you're bound to have said things in a book where you were sitting potentially in a silent coffee shop or in a house that you're not going to say in person. You know what I mean? No, touche. (laughs) Haven't thought about that. I want to give you all of me. Oh my God. She gave me (laughs) carrots before this. (laughs) So I did. Yeah, no, she said something about Trader Joe's carrots and they are the best, so she did buy me some, which is that's I, how you I know have a good present for you. A good van friend. <laughs> I know. She was like, I have a present for you. I just like I don't even remember what you said, but it was like super fun. I was like, what could it possibly be? Like this is a person I had met, I think, like the day before. Mm-hmm. But she bought a bag of carrots at Trader and Joe's. I said, Close your eyes and here's a frozen. Honestly, it's the Okay, so number one advice that you would give to someone, I'm not even going to say that wants to live in a van, but I think that is wanting to live in like a unique way because this, I think that more passionate about this than I am anything else is people feeling comfortable from the age of 10 to 80 living their like truth, like live your life for whatever that looks like, whether it lives in, like whether you want to live in a van you want to live in a house, you want to be in a same-sex relationship. Like, I I don't care what that might look like for you. But, like, what is your truth? What is going to bring you the fulfillment that I feel when I am traveling in this van that you don't feel comfortable doing right now? Like, what advice would you give to a person who is in search of that feeling? And, and it doesn't matter if, it, you're, if you speak specifically to people who want to be a solo female van life type person, or if, like I said, it's going to be a person who is wanting to kind of transition in, in any type of way. Um, but that might not be comfortable in doing that yet. Yeah. So you kind of had said, like, not necessarily someone who wants to live in a van, but as soon as you said that, I was like, I my advice is just, like, someone who actually wants to live. So my advice for that is to chase your curiosity wholeheartedly and to actually start acknowledging. I feel like when you were just explaining all that, like, my mind just went straight to acknowledgement. Um, I have a picture of my dad and a post-it. I'm really big on post-its. And I put them in random places for random people to find them, give them hope. But I have this post-it there that says, like, acknowledge moments before they become memories. It's like when I, like, actually sit there and think about that, I call acknowledgement, like, when you're truly living in the gap. Mm -hmm. And, like, that living in the gap is different for everyone. For me, it's like when I'm in nature, like... When I'm watching a sunset, like, that can dramatically change my day. It could be the worst day of my life, and I watch a sunset, and I'm, like, a completely different person because it's, it's, I'm finally acknowledging colors and smells and, like, the air on my face. So, to me, like, that advice is start acknowledging everything around you, living in that gap of just, like, this, like, flow state of life. And to me, like, that's truly living. And, like, that's what leads you on the path where maybe it feels like you're running at first, but again, like... You're not running away. You're running towards something. Right. Unbelievable. Yeah. I like the fact that you said chase the curiosity because I think that that's something that everybody in the entire world can relate to and needs to hear. There's an episode that I'd like to have down the line uh, that I've been thinking a lot about and I'm not even going to talk about it yet. But my parents 
really supported every curiosity I ever had. And it's not even about like what you're insanely passionate about. It's the fact that like in this moment I was curious and I needed to fulfill that curiosity. Like whether it went down one road or the other, like it could go completely opposite directions. I could fail or I could succeed. I could do a, like, there's so many different outcomes in every curiosity that you have. And I've never seen, like heard anybody phrase it that way. But I think like chasing any curiosity that you have, because I think a lot of people are also so nervous to go into van life. Like, I don't want to put my entire life savings into something and then fail because then I'm, I'm going to come out with nothing. But it's the satisfaction of having chased the curiosity and knowing what came out of it that you will never live satisfied until you chase those things. Like, if you feel the need to do something, and I mean, like, the deep-rooted need, the way I felt like I needed to live in a van – which might sound crazy to some, but like everyone has felt that need to do something um, until you feel that way and you chase it. Like you're really not going to come out satisfied whether you f- have completely bombed it or whether you like, f- you know, flew and <laughs> just like, you know, with flying colors, you'll never know. Like you, you have no choice but to do it unless you want to live the rest of your life in some way, shape or form slightly unsatisfied with like what you might may have done or not done you know yeah so i have a tattoo on my foot that says chase your dreams not your kettle and that's kettle as in kettle one the vodka but (laughs) my dad used to drink kettle one on the rocks and it was always like strap on a pair and drink it like this and that taught me though when he was gone like not everything in life is worth chasing no matter how hard it is going down like vodka no matter how great a vodka it is it sucks going down without a chaser, but it's, like, <laughs> worth it when it's a good vodka, right? So, yeah. the whole point of, like, that analogy is, like, chasing your dreams, chasing that curiosity, chasing those, like, needs that we have, where it's, like, you just talked about, like, needing to travel and be in this van and, like, go experience life. Like, you gotta just do it. Like, it's right. scary. But when I made that transition to, like, van life, I was, like, I remember telling everyone I say in the world, like my friend, every <laughs> single person, <laughs> like my friends and family, I was like, it's time to sink or swim. And like, I'm not going to let myself sink because drowning is one of my biggest fears. Yeah. And so it's like, take that risk, jump, sink, swim, whatever it is like you want to put yourself in and like chase it like wholeheartedly, relentlessly, all those motivational words. I don't know. Like go do the thing. Go do now. the thing. Yeah. I love that. It it really is something I feel like I do speak on frequently of just being like, go do that thing. Like, it's scary for everyone. We're still scared at times. Right. I think that that's the biggest message is that you see someone succeeding and therefore you put them in this other category when they were in your shoes and likely still are closer to being in your shoes than what you perceive them to be. Like... I was just telling Alexa the other day, I responded to someone on Instagram and she responded back and was like, oh my God, I cannot believe you just responded. And I was like, why? Why in any way are you surprised that I would respond? Like, I am so much more similar to you than you probably imagine. And not just because you're interested in van life, but like, I'm sitting greasy haired with no makeup and gross with like, you know what I mean? Like, first of all, not to say she's those things. (laughs) (laughs) We are one in the same. I just think that it's so easy to have this like dreamlike perception of some people when that's just not the case of them in real life at all. And like, I am 
in no way greater? Am I in no way different or more successful? Like nothing than anybody else who is listening in any way. Like the only difference is that I actually bought the van. And once I bought the van, I had the obligation of having it, having it built out. I had it built out. And then like, I had the obligation of leaving. You know what I mean? Like, I made the one decision that led into another, that led into another, that led into another. And because I posted photos of it along the way, like, I thank God, you know, and I'm I'm eternally grateful for the community that I've built around that. But, like, there is no difference between a person on one side and the person on the other besides that one decision that they made to, like, push them a little bit farther. You know, you wrote an epic life story because you decided to write it. It's like everyone listening, like pick up the pen, start writing, like start writing your epic life story, whether it's van life, whether it's traveling, backpacking, whether it's has nothing to do with traveling, whatever, like pick up the pen and start writing your story. Yeah. Literally and figuratively, like pick up your feet too and like move. Right. Well, that's my mom runs marathons. I was telling you the other day, like my mom has no interest in living in a van, no interest in anything I'm doing, but like she runs marathons frequently and she feels like she's in a stage of her life where she has a knowledge to pass on. Like, you know, she didn't start running until she was in her late thirties. And she's like, you know, I want people to know that you don't have to be good. Like I'm not the fastest person in the world. I'll never win a marathon, but it's the fact that I've completed so many. And she's like, you know, I just feel, she feels as though she has something to pass down to people who are even in their late thirties to just be like, Hey, by the way, if you're 40 with three or four kids, you have some, like, you're not done yet. Like you can pick up marathon running and you can finish marathons. And so I've had to tell her multiple times that is a story worth sharing. Like people, there are people in this world who need to hear that. And every single person listening Although your story might feel small, like my story felt small a couple years ago, Mm -hmm. and I just decided to share it anyways. That's the only difference, you know? Every person listening, you can work at a fast food restaurant, you you can make minimum wage, or you can make well into six figures. Like, your story is relatable to so many, and it is 125% worth sharing. Everybody has a story that is worth sharing, and that you are doing a good thing to the world by sharing it. Like so many people have related to my whole social anxiety thing. But like when I shared that, I didn't think anybody else dealt with it. Like I thought I was talking to a couple people who might listen to the podcast and relate to it, but so many people related to it. And it's just about sharing what you choose to share. And as long as it's the God's honest truth, people will relate to it because, like, we just don't think we're as similar to each other as we are. There's so many people who just listen to me and they're like, wait a second, I feel the same anxiety, I feel the same anxiousness, I feel the same way that I would... It wasn't normalized for me until until I talked about it, but so many people have responded being like, wait, you normalized that for me. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's same. You emailing me about me normalizing it normalizes it for me. I was scared shitless to talk about it. And it just, it all goes both ways. You know, I think everyone feels insignificant until they share their story and others validate them and make them feel slightly more significant. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, whenever I speak, especially to kids, I'm always like, there's 7.53 billion people in the world 
And I'm the one person who's crazy enough to think, like, you can connect with them on some way, even if it's, like, both of our favorite colors red. We both lost someone. We both have social anxiety. Whatever it is, like, you can connect with all of those people. And mm-hmm. people are like, you're crazy for thinking of that. And, like, well, crazy people think they can change the world because they're crazy enough to think that they can. And, like, that's Right. <laughs> is there anything that you would like to say before we close? So I just want you to take a piece of my heart and that in turn gives me something back. But now that we have more than 1%, it's really just like... <laughs> <laughs> you have room to talk. Like, I just, I I want to be your friend. Like, as a stranger, through a microphone, on the screen, whatever. Like, I'm your friend. Whether you like me or not, whether <laughs> you want me to or not, we are friends. So that's all. So reach out to Alexa, is what she's saying. Because I just, I, I love people. You do love people. I do. You're a lot more connected to people than I think I am, and that I'm used to being around. I don't consider myself introverted by any means, but when it comes to certain social situations, I'm kind of just like, Bleh. Like, I've had enough human connection, but I think you really thrive off of that, which is really interesting and very cool. So yeah, I mean, if you're looking for someone to talk to, or if you just want to publish a book, or if you've been dealing with, like, loss or grief or something like that, I think Alexa's kind of your girl. She's very open. I, like I, I said this earlier, but she is literally the second person I have ever met in my entire life that within like 45 seconds of talking, you're kind of just like, oh, I can just say whatever I want right now. And it's not going into a black hole or it's not being judged in any way. Well, we even talked, what, right before the podcast? So it's like, I know we just met, but I feel like I've known you forever. Yeah, we and literally said that right before this. very real feeling. Yeah. And, but it's such a rare one, which yeah. is, which is why it means so much. And I like, people probably think I'm crazy for talking about Katie the way that I do, but to someone who felt very lonely before meeting her, it's not like I met my, a good friend. Like I met someone who changed my life. You know what I mean? And it's just kind of like the impact that she had on me and still has on me. And I try to tell her this as much as possible because I want her to know that. The reason, like, the way that she is towards me and just humanity, like, it's doing people favors. Like, you are, you are doing a a really good thing for the world by just being who you are and welcoming people, like, the way that you're welcoming people. I don't know. And, like, I would say the exact same thing to you. I think it's interesting to get to know people from, uh, from multiple different perspectives. Like, I think I try to express myself as much as possible, but then, like, during my windshield time, like you would call it, I think a million different things were, like, even 15 minutes after thinking them, I think I'm batshit crazy. So, like, I'm positive somebody else would think that as well, (laughs) you know? And so, but I think that we would all be surprised at how similar we all are in thinking those same things as staring at the windshield. Like, you said something about love and hate and and looking at the windshield and like the windshield has experienced so many things with you throughout this journey and it's so true that I have like wept to my windshield out of love but I have also had like pretend never gonna happen are full-blown arguments with, like, loved ones, with somebody who cut me off in traffic. Like, my windshield has legitimately been that person who has seen me screaming, singing, like, just to the top of my lungs singing. Mm -hmm. It has heard my weirdest conversations with Ella. Um, It has watched me 
cry with sunglasses on, trying to make sure nobody in traffic sees me weeping for no reason. And it has also seen me have, like, pretend conversations with the person who's like, it wasn't the right of way, but they took it anyways, and now I'm just, like, fighting for no reason, just having a pretend argument, you know? And just kind of, like, that windshield has really... (laughs) In, in a very symbolic, metaphorical way, like, been through some random things with me. No. Honestly, I feel like I'm, like, getting emotional thinking <laughs> about all those things because I feel so much of that where I my van has a theme song, and I always play that song, like, either right when I start a road trip or it's, like, sometimes just timing. Like, yeah. golden hour or, like, I'm going through the forest, like, whatever. But it just... The windshield, literally, there's no judgment. It's been through everything. Like, when I'm on the loneliest road in Nevada for 500 miles without a gas station in between, like, my windshield's there when I'm freaking out about running out of gas or when I'm crying because I lost my dad six years ago and my dad and my song came on the radio on shuffle or because I'm randomly thinking about my ex-boyfriend who I thought I was over, but maybe I'm not, but I am. But he pops in my head. Like, right. the windshield was there through everything. It was there through me for three seasons of Anne with me. <laughs> I, I know. I honestly had to throw that in one more time. <laughs> I love you for it. But for real, it's like, because you think about it, it's like, when you think no one else is seeing what you're seeing with your eyeballs. Right. Or those moments where you're like, did I just black out? Like, how long have I been driving? I don't even know what I was seeing. Right. I mean, in the, in the, in the, the way that I, <laughs> because I want people to know that I think I'm a safe driver, but at the same time, I think we've all experienced those, like, hours where you're just driving and driving and driving, and then suddenly you, like, come to, and you're like, how have I safely made it to where oh, I yeah. am right now? The road like, is I'm... so straight, it doesn't even matter if you're touching <laughs> right. the steering wheel. You're like, I think I just blacked out for, like, 45 minutes. A million percent. But the windshield is the only <laughs> other thing that sees what you're seeing. It's right. It's like your eyes. The windshield. I mean, it, it is, like, a very metaphorical, like, mirror. Wow. Wow. What? Just, no, I'm just... Yeah, no, wow. I never, I never thought about it that way. Like, I've thought about the fact that I have experienced every possible emotion sitting in the driver's seat, but I've never thought about the windshield as being that thing that is between me and my emotions and the world that I'm looking at, which is kind of triggering those emotions, you know? Like, oh, yeah. it is that person or like, you know, quote unquote, whatever. Like, it is that thing in between that is experiencing literally all of it with me. Like, especially when you live in that vehicle, because I cried up front when Ella was in surgery, and I cried up front when I was going through the worst of the worst of the worst of being in the van. And I, I cry when it's you know, I have a wonderful conversation with Lee or with my family or like, I mean, literally anything. Like, it's just, it's always that, that barrier of what's in between. And I've absolutely never even considered the topic until we started talking about it. And then you said windchill time. And I was like, wait a second. Oh, I know we're supposed to be saying goodbye, but. (laughs) (laughs) But let's go on for another hour and a half. (laughs) For another six hours. No, kidding. But really quick. When I like was trying to move into the van, like by my, not trying. I live in the van by myself. But it was like, oh my god, I'm going to have all this alone time. I'm going to learn what silence sounds like and solitude. And then I had that for about like a week and a half. And honestly, for 
these like six months, I've been constantly surrounded by people where I've really had to fight for my alone time. And so that's why I value windshield time so much. And like kind of what you just said, like the windshield is almost what differentiates like our home from like our vehicle because it's the same thing. Right. But there's times like I was just away from the van for like three weeks for Christmas and the holidays. And as soon as I got in the van, like tears. Oh, my like, God, yeah. that first hour of the drive from Vegas to Arizona, I was like, oh, my God, I'm so good. Like, it felt so good to be back because yeah. for three weeks, I feel like I was pretending not to have feelings in a sense where, again, the windshield doesn't judge me for crying for no reason. Right. Or No, there have been whatever. times. Yeah, there have been times where, and Lee does let me cry and do whatever, like, do whatever weird thing I need to do. But every, almost every time that I'm in the same place as him for a long period of time, and then as soon as I get on the road by myself, almost every single time I stop within, like, an hour or two of me driving, and I will stop, let the dogs out, like Pearl and Ella, and I will just start, like, dancing fiercelessly. Like, I am just, like, like, jumping around looking like an absolute fool, but it is this idea of, like... I am alone. No one can see me. No one can judge me. Like, I don't care how stupid I look. I don't care if I look great. Like, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. And even though I have someone who kind of allows me that freedom, there's no freedom like being entirely in solitude. And so it's just kind of always my tradition within the first couple hours of driving entirely by myself where I stop and I just, like, dance as wild as I can, and I play the music for, as like, as loud as I can, and, yeah, I mean, like, nobody can kind of take that experience away, and although it's not the windshield, it's still this idea of no one or nothing is around me to judge me. I could do handstands if I wanted. I could just flop around. <laughs> like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't yes, care. Yeah. Like, it's, it's always a very emotional 10 or 15 minutes where I'm just kind of like, <sighs> I can, I can, I'm here, I'm doing it, I'm, like, back. Like, this is, I am back to that feeling that I've been chasing for so long. But, yeah, okay. Whew. We have gone through every single corner. I can't remember what exactly, if I was plugging you when the laptop died, I don't know what the case was. If my laptop died during that time, it is moving Alexa. That's all, right? Yep. Just moving Alexa. And then alexaglazer.com. I actually intentionally... Like, like, I want, I intended on speaking more of the fact that, like, you're a motivational speaker type person. While we were on break, we talked about the label of that and not loving it, but whatever, as the podcast always does, led us to other places. But I want people to know that she's a motivational speaker. And if anyone out there is ever looking for or knows someone who's looking for a motivational speaker, she's an option, <laughs> like a fantastic one. And she'll show up in the van so you can yes. obviously see a van. And then what like what else would you want to add, like to add before we click away? If anything, you don't have to say anything. I'm just here for you. <laughs> <laughs> see? I don't know. That's what a good friend. <laughs> Honestly am. doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> love it. Okay, well, love you. Love you. Love it. Thank you everyone for listening. Find her on Instagram. Please follow her and support her. She means a lot to me. And I will talk to you later. Bye. Goodbye.